Welcome back to HodgePodge. I'm your host, Allison Clackwitz. Today's episode is all about ghost tales. My whole life, I've heard many, many ghost tales. There's something so wonderfully exciting about a ghost story and a ghost story well told (laughs) and well accounted for. Growing up on the North Carolina coastline, I was exposed to all types of different tales of the supernatural from the devil's hoof prints in Bath, North Carolina, to Pactolis Light, to the swinging lanterns on railroad passes all up and down the the, um, farmlands of North Carolina. We've all heard ghost stories of the ghost lady walking down the old country highway and the car would drive by and she would wave them down only for the passenger or the driver to realize she was a ghost. There was no lady. Or the claw scraping on the car There's so many different tales, and especially in eastern North Carolina, all up and down the ocean and the inner banks of the Pamico River where I grew up. There's just so much history in those places, and so legends have been passed down from generation to generation and are well documented and told to generation after generation. So there's something in my gene pool (laughs) that just loves an awesome ghost story. So I'm superly, naturally (laughs) excited to tell you some of my favorite ghost stories. Listen in. The first story I'll tell you is a classic Outer Banks of North Carolina ghost tale, or a legend per se, ever since the early 1900s. The Gray Man of Hatteras has appeared on a stretch of beach between Cape Point and the Hatteras Lighthouse every time a hurricane is threatening the coastline. He always appears to be trying to warn residents to take shelter from the storm. And he always walks that particular part of the beach line. Some will tell you this is the spirit of a man who was actually named Gray and who lived near Cape Point in the late 1800s. And the gray man was drowned in a late, sudden, and unexpected storm. And they say he never fails to give warning and is never wrong with his prediction. He's just a very dependable ghost. He is known as a friend, so most are not afraid of him. And he just wants to protect the people of the Outer Banks. 
there's one account of a coast guardsman in Hatteras who in the 1960s he was new to that area and he was out on the beach doing his training and all of a sudden he saw a shadowy figure ahead and he needed to figure out who what it was he was seeing and the young man started to walk toward the figure and it was a human figure slowly swinging his right arm in a motion for someone to come and seek shelter with him just beyond the dune line so the young coast guardsman started to to walk faster and it seemed that the shadowy figure his motion was becoming more hurried like come shelter with me come off the beach come to the sand dunes so the young man started to run thinking there was some emergency and when he got to 10 feet away the figure vanished when he later went back to his other mates they all looked at him and said ah you've met our friend the gray man of Hatteras the next story I'll tell you is one that really hits home quite literally it's a story from an a little tiny community off of the Pamlico River directly across from Bath, North Carolina, where my father grew up and where his father grew up and where my parents now reside on the Pamlico River. And this story is about the Corpoint ghosts. You see, back in the colonial times when the 13, even before the 13 American colonies uh, declared their independence from Britain, there were people already inhabiting this this region. And Bath and Core Point area, really in American history, are ancient. <laughs> um, they their establishment was well before um, we declared our independence. And it's also an area where Blackbeard, the infamous Blackbeard the Pirate, took refuge and sailed on the Pamlico River. So this story is regarding a young man and a young woman. The young man who lived in Bath and a young woman who lived in Core Point. So, at the time of when this story begins, there was a war fever, have you, running high in eastern North Carolina. Um, Young men from farms and towns were flocking to the colors of rebellious colonies 
and the long struggle for independence had begun in earnest. The idea of a free and independent nation was spreading basically like a wildfire. And in core point, there lived a young daughter of a wealthy plantation owner who was very much in love with a young man who lived in and worked in Bath Town. And this young man would sail his boat across the river to visit the young woman. And they were often together with full consent from both of their families because they were well suited for one another. So their courtship was approved of. And it was a beautiful romance. But because of the peer pressure and the heightened patriotism uh, beginning to stir, the young man felt he should enlist in the armed forces and to defend his beloved land in Bath. So... He wound up following all of his peers and joined. Um, so he went off and to Portsmouth Island um, to defend and defeat what they'd hope um, the British. So in shallow galleys um, propelled by as many as 20 oars and the swift moving and highly mobile force played havoc with the heavier and slower British warships and made life generally miserable for the Brits. The invaders managed to get away with some small quantities of livestock but they paid dearly for every steer they took there was a certain risk and the young bath resident was unlikely unlucky enough to take a british musket ball right in the chest unfortunately he died that day and was buried in a hero's grave on portsmouth island back home in corpoint the young woman, now his fiance, was overcome with her depression and grief. Her whole world had been torn apart. And she too had been affected by what they called the war fever. And as has often been the case during wartime, well, she'd given in to her love, meaning that she was in the family way. She had laid with her beloved and was very, very afraid of how her father would react to this unwed daughter 
who was now with child. And she had a very good reason to be afraid because once her father became knowledgeable that she was with child, he berated her for disgracing the family name. And there was no sympathy or pity from this man. And the woman immersed herself in self-pity. Um, she, as she rightly should have. Um, and the father was so enraged and self-righteous. And he could only think of the wrong that she had brought to him. And her mother was torn between the love and tenderness for her daughter, but her loyalty to her husband. And in the environment in which they lived, the young girl almost went completely insane with remorse and shame because she was shunned. So the whole community took sides in the matter and there became a very heated argument as to what should happen. And so those were the days of when there were strict moral codes and it was observed that the whole affair was the wrongdoing of the young lady. So by the time she had her baby, she was certifiably insane because no one cared for her. They had all turned their backs on her. So a week after the baby was born, overcome with her grief, her, her insanity, the young woman could no longer hear the baby crying. She could not tolerate the cries any longer. And she deliberately smothered the baby to death. And in defiance of her actions, she laid the breathless child at the feet of her father. The young woman was tried for murder and was convicted and was sentenced to hang from the branch of a tree that overlooked the Pamlico River. The very same tree under which her baby was buried. The death sentence was carried out and she was buried alongside her child. To this day, residents of Core Point and up and down the Pamlico River have witnessed on occasion of the full moon that if at midnight you pass in this area 
that you will hear the pitiful sobbing of a young infant and as if in reply a sorrowful frantic cry of the mother. The next story is a true account of my own that I witnessed and heard with my own ears. Um, this happened about 15 or maybe a little bit more years ago. I was living in downtown historic Wilmington, North Carolina, along um, Church Street with my dear friend April. And we lived in what you call a shotgun style house. Um, It was probably around 100 years old at that time. And I I really don't have any background on the history of the house or, you know, who originally owned the house, if anyone died in the home or if any tragic events happened. I have no idea. But what I do know, it was a really lovely little house, pretty house. It wasn't a little house. It was a very nice home, classic, like I said, shotgun style, two-story home, um, one, a very old street in um, historic Wilmington. And um, whenever we would have guests over, people would always say, you know, they loved the house, but they got a creepy vibe. <laughs> and it had a very tiny little narrow staircase that led to the upstairs. And People would say when they would walk up the steps, they would feel like chill, a chill in the air. It would give them goosebumps. And I agreed. I I tended to agree that the house, there was just something not natural, not normal, (laughs) always. So, but we, we just carried on. But there was one afternoon uh, that April and I came home from work. She's a school teacher. And at the time, I was working for um, an insurance agency. And we came in after work, as we do did, and gathered in our little den. And we were sitting in our chairs, uh, talking about our day and watching the news. And all of a sudden we started to hear this very loud scraping noise overhead and April's bedroom was directly overhead of the the den area um and she had just recently at that time purchased an antique vanity for her bedroom i remember it's a really unusual piece it was black uh, Victorian looking almost um, black vanity and the scraping noise overhead was coming from the general direction of where her vanity was sitting and we just looked at each other kind of just what in the world what is that noise and then we heard it again 
and it seriously sounded like someone was dragging a heavy piece of furniture across the floor. So, against our better judgment, she and I popped up and decided to go investigate what in the world was making this terrible noise. Well, we walked up the stairs and of course we were feeling a bit nervous the door to her room I believe was closed and when she opened the door she peeked in and nothing looked out of place and she flipped on the overhead light which was an old light um kind of a um hanging light uh I don't know of what era but it was it was an older uh kind of chandelier almost style light and when she flipped on the light the light began to flicker and it popped on and on on and off on and off on and off and enough so that she and I screamed at the top of our lungs and ran as fast as we could down the stairs and grabbed our purses and ran out of the house (laughs) because it was completely not normal first of all for the light to behave in that way even though it was an older light in an older home Yes, there could have easily been some electrical problems, but it wasn't a light that she had been having problems with. And it was quite eerie that it was occurring in the same room where we were hearing this noise. But like I said, the vanity was not out of place. But she and I, to this day, agree of what we heard that day and that we heard the furniture being dragged across her bedroom floor. I live in Fayetteville, North Carolina, which is a very historically significant uh, town in for North Carolina and for the nation. The United States Constitution was ratified here. Um, it had a huge colonial presence um, and during the Revolutionary War and the Civil War and um, just tons and tons of history uh, has occurred right here in Fayetteville, not to mention being the home for one of the largest military installations, um, Fort Bragg. So there are tons of stories around Fayetteville. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about some of the uh, places and locations where if you're visiting Fayetteville, where you might find a ghost or two. The first is the Sanford House, which is located downtown on Dick Street. Um, It's now the home to the Fayetteville Woman's Club, but it is infamous for 
ghost sightings. The house was built in 1800 and was the home to John and Margaret Sanford, and they had seven children. John had a bank in the downstairs, um, and his uh, family lived on the floor above. And one of the ghosts that is known to haunt and creep about the Sanford house is the ghost of Margaret Sanford, John's wife, um, who died. Uh, I believe he had been um, remarried, um, but it was said that Margaret would be known to check on her children and her husband even after she died. The second ghost of the home is of a young girl who was in mourning, um, who want, who is said to wander the halls and the stairways searching for her sweetheart, who was murdered before the Civil War and was buried in a secret underground passageway to the Cape Fear River that had its entrance in one of the Sanford's bank vaults. Can you imagine? There are underground tunnels built that led out to the Cape Fear River during the Civil War. And this gentleman was buried in that underground passageway that led from a bank vault. Fascinating. The next story is of the Kyle House, which is another famous Fayetteville house. Um, and it's said that um, where the house is on Green Street, that the house was, um, says that it, it said, no, sorry, it says that the ghost is that of Jesse Kyle, a post-Civil War resident who married into um, the original Kyle family. And um, James Kyle Jr., the great-great-grandson of the James Kyle who built the house in 1842, um, had said in an article that the ghost is actually that of James Kyle. So Kyle lived in the house until he was in his 20s. And um, Mr. Kyle had stated in the Fayetteville Observer that he had experienced his ancestor's ghostly presence twice and that the encounter didn't frighten him, but gave him a strange, uneasy feeling. Um, Mr. Kyle had said in the article in the Fayetteville Observer that um, he speculated that James, the ghost, his great-great-grandfather, um, started his wanderings when the house passed out of the Kyle hands and was rented to other individuals for a time. He said that he thought that maybe his great-great-grandfather just wasn't satisfied because of the other family being in the home. The next house is Cool Spring Tavern, which is located on North Cool Spring Street downtown. 
and is the oldest structure, standing structure in Fayetteville um, that survived a terrible fire that happened many, many years ago that burnt much of downtown Fayetteville. But the house was built in 1788 and is rumored to host the ghost of North Carolina Governor Richard Caswell. Caswell died in while staying in Cool Spring Tavern. And it was during the time that he was presiding over North Carolina's Constitutional Convention, which was occurred which occurred in November 1789. And there's also a story that there is a ghost of a young woman with a candle who is said to haunt the building too. And the young woman was said to be a servant who hung herself in the attic. Yikes. I have an interesting story, though, of my own experience recently regarding the Cold Spring Tavern. My son and myself and my husband and some friends of ours recently went, in, went on a haunted hayride in downtown Fayetteville. And the Haunted hay Hayride was fabulous because it was filled with all of these types of stories about um, the history of downtown Fayetteville and the ghosts that reside <laughs> within this history. And when our um, ride, when our hayride passed by Cool Spring Tavern, um, the host who was telling us all about everything, you know, he told us the story about Mr. Caswell and then the young woman with the candle who had hung herself there. And it was just interesting to imagine this tavern in colonial period, busy with dignitaries and men and politicians and people bustling about and coming in and out to have an ale together in discussing politics and you know the direction of the country and it was just it was it was really really a neat experience and we passed by during the evening it was dark so there wasn't much light and and um so so it gave it a fun vibe but when we passed by the home there were no lights on and and it's not a home anymore it's actually home to a nonprofit organization but <clears throat> like I said, and no one was there at that time. All of the lights were off. And so we we went on down close, and it sits near um, the cemetery, Oakwood Cemetery um, in, uh, in Fayetteville, and, um, which is a very old historic uh, cemetery in town as well. But when we passed by coming back up uh cool spring street i decided i was like well i'll take a photograph just to get a creepy dark photograph to document um us pa passing by this old really cool historic site and um so when we got home my son and i were sitting on the couch and we were um 
and I think I made a mistake earlier. Let me clarify. I think I said Oakwood, and it's actually Cross Creek Cemetery. I apologize for that. <laughs> Not to regress, but I wanted to make sure I, I corrected that. It's Cross Creek Cemetery. But anyway, when my my son and I, when we all got home, we started looking through the photographs of our tour and talking about all the fun stories we'd heard and all the creepy things that had occurred and it was it was just a good time um my son looked at the photograph of the um tavern of cold spring tavern and in one photograph the lights were off completely and then in the very next photograph, there was a flicker of light within one of the windows. There were no lights on when we passed, yet it clearly shows in the next picture, there is light on. Go figure. We are... We're not sure. Was it the young woman with her candle lighting up the room? We're, we're not sure. But dozens of people over the years have claimed to have seen lights. And so maybe we were one of those people. The last story comes from the North Carolina mountains. I remember hearing this story growing up. It's the story of Boojum and Hootenanny. <laughs> and it occurs at Eagle Nest Mountain, which stands at the southern edge of the Balsam Mountain Range and was once home to the luxurious Eagle Nest Hotel, which was built in 1900. And guests at the hotel, well, they soon began to hear a story of a strange creature that lived in the mountain. The thing, the creature, was not quite a man or an animal, but it stood about eight feet tall, and every inch of its body was covered with shaggy gray hair. But it did have a human face. And the creature's name was Boojum. And he seemed to be less harmless or be harmless enough. But he, he had, did have two, all two human habits. And the first of these was... He was greedy, and he loved to hoard gems. Rubies and emeralds are found in the North Carolina mountains, and Boojum loved to hunt for these pretty precious stones. Being a thrifty mountaineer, he'd scoop up the discarded liquor jugs thrown away by tourists, and he'd fill those jugs up with gems. Then he would bury them in one of the secret caves on the mountain that only he knew the whereabouts of. Boojum's other bad habit that made him a little more human than animal was he liked pretty girls. 
Back in those days, a young woman who wanted to have a bath might head off into the woods to find a secluded pond at the base of a waterfall. There, she'd be safe from a human eye, and she could get, get, take her clothes off and get in, in the water and bathe. But Boojum seemed to have some kind of sense about what was going on. And it was noted that many of the young women who would be bathing would often hear a rustle in the bushes and look up and see Boojum's face peering down at her. Now, most of these girls would quickly gather up their clothes and run off back home as soon as they saw him. But one young woman named Annie was braver than most of these girls. And one day, she was bathing in a stream in, um, on Eagle's Nest, and she looked up and saw Boojum standing there looking down at her. But she didn't run. She looked him into his eyes and saw that above all else, he was just another lonely soul living on the mountain. Annie fell in love with those sad eyes, and she fell in love with Boojum. And she left her home and her family to live with him in the woods as his wife. As much as Boojum loved Annie, and as much as Annie loved him, he still hung on to that love of his jewels. And on certain nights, he would leave her all alone just to go searching for jewels on the mountain. So, Annie grew lonely, and she would go searching for him. And she developed a very peculiar holler. Something that sounded like a cross between a monkey and a hooting owl. And that she would use that call to call out to him. And then he would use the same call to call back to her. And eventually the two calls would come close together until they, they found one another on the mountainside. Annie and Boojum, they... Um, would call to each other and the guests at the nearby Eagle Nest Hotel would hear them. It was said that folklorist John Parrish um, said that Annie's owl-like holler was the source of the term Hootin' Annie, which appeared in the English language around the turn of the 20th century. It was in the 1960s when it was introduced to a wider public through a folk song and a gathering of folk musicians called a Nanny. And that's Annie's approach to encountering a giant shaggy beast was to marry him in, uh, is a testament to the well-known friendliness of North Carolinians. It may be that Annie and Boojum had children, for occasionally, even to this day, a shaggy ape-like creature is seen stomping in the woods in the groves of Haywood County in North Carolina. <laughs>